0: All right, welcome back to Everything Just Changed. This is a new podcast where we are asking the question, what does it look like to faithfully navigate life in a post-Christian and post-pandemic world? I'm Bryce Hales, and I'm here today with my friend Brad Edwards. We're both pastors and church planters in the Western U.S., and we launched this podcast because as this global pandemic crisis set in a few months ago, we saw fear and a scarcity mindset begin to set in. And we wanted to provide a resource both for Christians as well as those who are skeptical but may be curious about Christianity. And we wanted to ask the question, is there a kingdom opportunity here? Is God at work through this crisis and what might it look like to lean into what God is doing in and through it? And so today, Brad and I are really excited to have Chris Bruno joining us. Chris is a licensed professional counselor. He is the founder of Restoration Counseling, and he's also the host of the Walking With podcast with his wife, Beth. And I first encountered Chris, uh, gosh, I think maybe about two years ago as I came across your book, uh, The Manmaker Project, Chris. And I think the subtitle really says it all. Boys are born, men are made. And um, I have read the first three chapters of that book many times, and it it, it wrecks me. Um, I think both thinking about my own relationship with my dad, but I also have three sons. And um, it's just an incredible resource really focused on helping dads equip their sons to enter into manhood. So, Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. We're excited to have you with us.
1: Yeah, well, the honor is all mine. Thanks, guys.
0: Yeah, our pleasure, our pleasure. So let's uh, jump right in, Chris. I'm I'm just hoping that we can sort of channel you as a resource as we're trying to help equip leaders. And maybe just to get us started, one of the things that I think we are all experiencing as we are sheltering in place, working from home, uh, distance learning with our kids, and trying to keep our 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 ministries and jobs and whatever those things may be afloat is just the reality that, to put it really simply, I'm just really tired. (laughs) Um, I probably have less on my to-do list than I used to, um, but I feel like I'm making decisions that are things that I haven't ever thought for. Uh, Certainly my seminary preparation didn't train me for, um, you know, we're we're having to make these kind of high risk um, decisions where we don't know if we're making the right decision or not. And mid-afternoon every day, I feel like I'm just exhausted. Can you maybe just help us understand what is going on? Why are we so tired?
1: Well, I I would say first, like, I am so in that with you, right? By two or three o'clock in the afternoon, I'm going for my uh, you know self-disclosure here second, third, fourth cup of coffee yeah, um, just to make it through the afternoon um, and certainly there is no seminary class on pandemics right there's no there's no uh, playbook there's no owner's manual on how to walk through this uh, so guys, I feel like uh, what you're saying, Bryce, is your experience the exhaustion is a ubiquitous experience right especially I think of people who are in leadership both in business leadership and also, in ministry leadership, because we are being asked to do, and and I say being asked, it's not like someone is asking us to do. I think the situation is asking us to be far more creative, far more nimble, far more hopeful, and actually far more full of faith Hmm. than the pre-pandemic world ever asked us to be. And the more that we need to flex and the more that we need to uh, show up in different ways, I think the more our batteries get drained and the more we are just uh, exhausted, like you said. Uh, And I also think that there's, even though your to-do list may not be as much as it might have been a couple months ago, I feel like your emotional lists are far larger right the levels of fear anxiety confusion um, you just said high risk low reward like those kinds of things that that takes a toll on us that we didn't have before so we might have been more productive we might have been doing far more in in programs and ministries and launching things and preaching and all those kinds of things but but our own person has been asked to be more than maybe we were. Hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah. I I remember thinking right at the outset, I'm going to get so much done here because <laughs> I don't have the travel time to get to meetings and appointments anymore. Um, you know, Zoom calls are just so quick and easy. Man, we've really turned the corner on on our relationship with yeah. Zoom, I think.
1: <laughs> I'm glad you've repented of that fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> Had a choice. Now, it's funny,
2: like most, most church planters, uh, I feel like, you know, Bryce and I are probably pretty hardwired to be comfortable with change and adaptability. And I, I remember feeling extremely, pretty energized, especially in those first like two to three weeks uh, after everything had to get shut down and it's just like, okay, this is what, this is what I'm made for. This is what we're supposed to do. You know, that kind of crisis, uh, in the moment leadership is really clear. And then the, the more things drag on, the more I'm, I'm starting to realize that like, I, you know, and <laughs> this is, I, I haven't heard any pastors say this, uh, but I kind of have this sneaking suspicion. A lot of us are feeling this is we both, cannot wait to get to the point where we can regather on Sunday morning and we're dreading it at the same time and, and that dread comes from this exhaustion of like i'm i'm tired now i can't imagine having to figure out how to pull off physical distancing with toddlers never mind disinfecting protocols or yeah so so it's just it's just it feels like if we're kind of in this increasing catch 22. And I just wonder how universal that is. And just maybe what you're seeing and experiencing uh, as, as a therapist who's working with people who are probably coming to you. I imagine business is probably booming right now um, with people needing some help figuring out what to do with that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm working with a lot of people in ministry and what you're describing is exactly, like I said, it's ubiquitous. It's And there's no playbook because there was no playbook in the beginning and there's no playbook ongoing right how how do we do this with toddlers how do we do this with with gathering and i think the last thing also that you didn't speak to is the last thing that we want is for uh for us for our churches our congregations to be an outbreak point oh god seriously yeah right Of course. So, uh, and and that just puts that church in the forefront of the news. And now all of a sudden, you know, people don't want to go to church because they're going to get like, it's just, it's a cluster. uh, Yeah,
0: I mean, I've said that uh, when, when people are asking me kind of, Hey, pastor, when are we going to start meeting again? And I'm thinking, man, we want to meet as soon as we can, but we really do not want to show up in a newspaper article.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, and I've you know we people are asking us the same thing. It's not you know a congregation. It's like when will we go back to the counseling office? We've right. we've completely pivoted to virtual counseling uh, and telehealth, which is awesome. And it's actually been uh, a huge way of continuing to be able to come alongside people no matter where in the world they are. Uh, and we've been our, our, our reach has actually increased significantly because now we can work with people, uh, not just locally, but literally wherever. Um, but people are asking, when are we going to be able to come back into the office? And I've, I've said, hey, even though the laws may allow us with these stipulations, I'm going to ask us to actually just wait. Mm -hmm. I'm going to actually just ask us to wait because um, the last thing I want to do is take the temperature of my clients and make them wear a mask, right? Mm. And How can you do face-to-face counseling and tune into the emotions or blow your nose when you're trying to, you know, when you have a mask on? So it's... It's a whole bunch of things. A friend of mine calls it a dumpster fire. I just think it's a dumpster fire situation.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So really, you're saying Brad and I think about this as pastors, but everybody in their in their context is facing unprecedented sort of challenges and issues that they're having to overcome. Yeah. And the just the mental emotional toll of that is is exhausting over time.
1: Well, and I feel like something else happened to us all, and I think those of us in ministry, um, in some ways. Uh, uh, again, to kind of state it a little bluntly is that we found a way to be superhumans right we found we found ways to do our stuff and do it really well mm-hmm. and we can we can gather we can preach we 're doing these things we 're doing a lot, and our capacity in those areas is is pretty large. but I think what the pandemic has actually done to us is uh, rehumanized us in some ways mm-hmm. and and another way of saying that is human sized us again. Mm-hmm and brought us back to the place where I am just a guy and I am just trying to make some things happen and I love the Lord and I want for people to know him but I'm no longer measured by the size of my church or Mm -hmm. the number of services or the number of uh, programs I have, right? I'm just a guy trying to serve the kingdom now instead of where maybe we were in some superhuman spaces that we wouldn't have admitted back then, but I hope we can begin to admit right now. Bringing wow. us back to this place of, uh, I'm, I'm just a guy who loves the Lord and wants to serve the kingdom. So how do we get back
2: to that
0: superhuman place?
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, wow. I mean, that, I think you just hit me between the eyes because, yeah, I mean, Brett, I think one of the things Brett and I have talked about is just, man, I did not go into ministry because I wanted to run a virtually oriented community group sort of ministry. Yeah. And without being able to gather on Sunday morning, so much of what I feel like my strengths as a pastor are, are just completely taken off the table.
1: Mm -hmm. And I think, Bryce, when you began, you talked about like, what is the kingdom opportunity here? So I served in missions uh, in the Middle East for 10 years and um, in Turkey. And one of the areas that we would visit often was the area of Cappadocia and it's often referenced i just read this morning and in first peter he's writing to the saints and yeah and other regions, right? And this whole pandemic has made me uh, kind of recall some of the things I learned about the Christians in the area of Cappadocia during the time of their persecution. Now, I'm not saying that the pandemic is a Christian persecution. That is not what I'm saying, right? I think it's a whole global situation that involves us also as Christians. Mm -hmm. Um, But the, the comparison that I want to draw is what was it, what kind of creative ways, faith-filled ways, um, different ways did the church in Cappadocia have to live, uh, live through and, and navigate while they were under the kind of persecution where if you go to Cappadocia, literally you will see underground cities, that are that go seven floors into the ground, into the earth, that are that are carved out. They were originally carved out by the Hittites and and then they were used by the Christians. And there's there's massive caves that are that are cathedrals um that have oh, been wow. painted and the frescoes and all that are there. They were worshiping underground. And so right, how does a pastor navigate multiple 10 person underground churches in Cappadocia, I feel like that's similar to where we are. How does a pastor Mm -hmm. navigate a virtual space where we actually can't gather anymore, but we still want to be faithful uh, to to serve the Lord and one another? Can you answer that question? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, how do we do that? (laughs) How? (laughs) Um, I I don't know that I can. um, Okay. (laughs) But here's what I do know, is I do know that still the epistles are written written to the faithful Mm. saint in Cappadocia. Mm. So I think one of the things that I feel like this pandemic is calling us to be is to come back to the human-sized faithfulness that God actually calls us to, mm. right? Man,
2: yeah. You know, I've one of the things that's, that's been on our radar up to this point, but made a cannonball-sized splash yesterday in the news was uh, the Washington Post ran this article that the Census Bureau had run a, a survey and a poll. And the conclusion of this survey and poll was that for every 100 American adults, 34 are showing symptoms of clinical anxiety, depression, or both. Yeah. And as I'm reading this, what the article is not talking about is um, there's a certain degree of vulnerability and courage it takes to say I'm experiencing these symptoms. And my gut is that this is actually still underreporting how many people actually are experiencing some form of clinical anxiety or, or depression or both. And um, Bryce and I have been talking about this concept that you know if you see this pandemic as an interruptive event, a pause button to which we are going to try and, and just wait out and go back to some kind of normal versus a disruptive event that requires us to kind of scrape the foundation clean and start over I, i'm i'm trying to figure out and think through as a pastor this is a this is a massive neon sign pointing to a ministry need that both society and even the church does not seem very well equipped or prepared to to provide any kind of grace-saturated or based uh, counseling in order to, to actually help people. And, and this doesn't even break anything down by, you know, inside the church versus outside the church. And there has to be a solution that addresses both. So I'm just kind of curious, as someone who thinks about this and probably talks to pastors a lot about, hey, you're not the only one experiencing this, your people are too. What in the world, how should we start thinking about this in such a way that s- starts rebuilding with the opportunity we have in front of us to actually be salt and light in in that kind of a context?
1: Uh, You know, the first thing I believe is that we as ministry leaders need to be at the forefront of those admissions. Hmm. We need to let people know that to experience depression, anxiety, fear, you know phobias whatever it might be is is a human experience it's and I as a human also experience those things mm-hmm. So for us to break the stigmas around mental health or any of that stuff, I think we need to speak about our own depression. We need to speak about our own anxiety. we need to speak about our own fear and mm-hmm. I think that the more that we can begin there, the more we give permission to other people to do the same okay mm-hmm. right? So that that's where I would start, but i I, I love your distinctions between um, a disruptive event and an interruptive event, uh, right? I feel like one of the things that we actually also need to name is that this is a trauma event.
2: Yes, mm-hmm. okay.
1: This is a trauma event. And you mentioned just a moment ago that in the first two weeks, kind of we in ministry did this whole juggle, shift, move, got everything, you know, we did this massive uh, kind of muscling, leveraging, shift, pivot into the virtual space. And... And you said, this is what we were created for. And I do believe on some level that those on the front lines of ministry are created for crises. Mm. Right? We, we can navigate those, most of us, pretty well. And that first crisis is, uh, is, a, is a trauma event, okay? But what we also have to name is that it's not just a trauma event, that there is an ongoing trauma that we are continuing to live in, that it's a sustained trauma. And then also we're still anticipating trauma, okay? We're mm-hmm. anticipating what is the fall going to look like for school? What is? When am I going to see my mom again When she, as she lives in a nursing home? What is going to happen for my... Senior in high school next year. What's going to happen for my eighth grader who's moving to ninth grade next year? And how is the first semester of high school going to be? Is she going to make any friends, mm-hmm. or is she going to be six, you know, six feet apart with a mask on and not able to talk? Like that's the anticipatory trauma. So we're in the middle of this ongoing trauma, and we don't actually know what's going on. I feel like if we begin to name it as trauma, right, that is uh, is both interruptive and disruptive and ongoingly disruptive. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: that that we can kind of sit back and go okay right this is actually quite choppy water and it's going to still be choppy water i need to not anticipate this the lake to become still again i need to learn how to how to navigate choppy water and so we need to we need to develop some different emotional muscles in the midst of navigating this trauma that we didn't have before what
2: you're saying is, is this isn't just a disruptive event. This is a disruptive season. Absolutely. You know, you're hitting on a, uh, a question slash epiphany. Um, I had, gosh, this is probably maybe two weeks ago. Um, my wife and I were going for a walk in the evening because I was just feeling kind of crazy and just needed to process some things. And she's incredibly gracious. And, um, I just started describing like what I was feeling in a very like basic kind of rudimentary way. And it hit me. Um, I I spent uh, nine years as a chaplain in the Army National Guard. And uh, I can't tell you how many soldiers I counseled and talked to who would come back from deployment and they were never in a roadside bomb. They never hit an IED. They were never shot at. And they were, they were saying like, I feel so there's something wrong with me because I I'm feeling all these things. And what they would describe were the very things I listed. And in those moments with these soldiers, I would tell them like, you realize we're learning that PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, is not uh, always and only caused by an acute event, but a chronic hypervigilance that the stress of having to anticipate threat uh, builds up cortisol in your brain. And, and that's what causes the PTSD symptoms. And I, I one of the things I wanted to ask you is like, is that it? I, I'm, they, that's why we're so exhausted. Yeah. And, and the implications of that are devastating to consider because that is literally everybody who's experiencing that and if it was hard enough for soldiers who like i know i'm at war like i know that this is a dangerous environment but there's at least when they come home even though there are you know absolutely triggers and and other aspects of it there's at least a contextual difference this is happening in our homes Mm -hmm. and i'm just kind of like is is that i don't want to over apply that analogy but Is that what you're describing with this?
1: Yes. And I I think that's, to come back to Bryce, what you said, why am I so exhausted by two o'clock? I think you just named it because the level of cortisol and hypervigilance that we are living with normally now that we weren't before is at such a significantly higher level. And actually, the sustained trauma, the long-term overtime trauma, in my mind, it's actually far more detrimental than an acute trauma, Mm. okay? Because that event, uh, I may need to do some work around that. I may need to revisit what happened. I might still be triggered by similar experiences or, you know, or or whatever. But the sustained sustained trauma is the longer something happens and the closer it is in proximity, Mm. the more... It's going to create those kinds of cortisol releases and PTSD responses and all the things. That you're talking. And when you think about it from you know outside of the context we're talking about, in like a sexual abuse situation, right? That there there might be an incident of sexual abuse or assault. And that's horrific as it is, right? And, and yet the recovery for that person looks very different than a child who's lived at home uh, with ongoing sexual abuse for six years, mm-hmm. okay? That, that what's happened to the, the psyche, what's happened to the soul, what's happened to the emotions, what's happened to relationships and all that hypervigilance has has deepened, like those crevices in the soul have deepened so significantly that recovery becomes even more difficult than an acute assault situation. So bring that back to pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. What we lived with 9-11, which was our most recent large uh, kind of national crisis... Right, was an yeah. acute event, yeah. and then after the acute event, there was no more threat. There was no more, and we went to you know, and however we feel politically about what happened afterwards, the the reality was there was at that point it didn't come into our own fruit aisle at the grocery store, <laughs> right? It, it was something that happened, and it's not threatening us anymore. So we're living in this ongoing trauma, as I've mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those statistics of whatever 34% depression anxiety right that is because we didn't we don't know what to do we don't have the the musculature established yet to live in the midst of this kind of a trauma yeah so
0: chris I'm, I'm 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 thinking about a question as i'm hearing you talk here and it seems like just our own awareness is such a big part of this um i know for myself well and maybe to even kind of hopefully play out what you were encouraging us to uh just a few minutes ago but part of my own kind of process and journey through counseling is just learning to become more aware of what i am actually experiencing and feeling, and and apart from that, it seems like uh, this anxiety can can kind of just sneak up on me. Where I tell, I feel like I'm doing fine, and and I feel like I'm talking with people who, you know, I say, "How are you doing? I'm doing fine." That's what everybody says, "I'm doing fine," until all of a sudden you're not. And the difference between I'm doing fine and I just snapped at my kids or my spouse or, you know, even something maybe more severe seems to be um, it, it can happen really quickly. And I'm so I'm wondering both like what can we do to develop our own awareness, but but also as leaders, how can we help? Others develop a little bit more emotional awareness. I feel like pastorally when I'm in conversation with people in our church, you know, how are you doing? Well, I'm, I'm thankful I, I'm still working. I'm working from home. I'm juggling all of these different balls, but, you know, everything's fine. And then, I mean, we're, what, 12 weeks or so into this, and I'm starting to see things like um, marriages beginning to break down. I mean, I've actually seen a few incidents of, um, not of not in our church, but of people saying we're going to move out of state because it, it seems like there's this temptation to kind of blame shift. So when we're unhappy with how the governor is dealing with things here, we're going to move to a state with a different color where we think that the governor is going to do a better job there. Um seems you know some fairly fairly like um like those are some big reactions mm, yeah and i just wonder how can we help people say uh help people to slow down and just become aware of what they're actually experiencing
1: yeah well so first i want to name the the going from fine and not fine yeah okay. so first of all uh anytime somebody says the word fine to me i'm like you're lying <laughs> right so <laughs> it's just not true i think i think fine is just this dissociative word that allows me not to actually answer the truth so yes so um let's thank just... you for
0: saying that because actually one of the things I, I say all the time in our church is that we want to help you move beyond just being busy and fine because i think <laughs> that fine is just a smoke screen and yeah. busy is an
1: excuse yeah absolutely so um there, in counseling terms there's something called the window of tolerance Okay, and so if you think about your computer screen or an actual window or something that has a top and a bottom, right? So on the on the top is how much uh, kind of electric anxiety, energy, um, anger, frustration, whatever. How much can you tolerate mm-hmm. before you cross over that that barrier, that ledge, that line? Okay, and then on the bottom is how much like uh, depression or how much dissociation or how much Um, uh, hypo-arousal, it's called, where there's you're just kind of shut down and you're numb and you're just quiet and you don't show emotion. Like, how much can you tolerate there? Hmm. So in between the top and the bottom line is what's called a window of tolerance. And every person has a window of tolerance based on their past story and their family. And then in marriage, when two come together and become one, the marriage then has a window of tolerance. Hmm. Okay, how much... How much frustration with one another can we handle before it becomes a fight? And how much distance can we handle before it becomes abandoned, right? That's So we're, we're dealing with that window of tolerance already in each person and each relationship. And each relationship, not only marriage, but uh, parent-child and siblings and all that, we each have a window of tolerance there. What I think this pandemic has done is it's taken what might have been a larger window of tolerance and shrunk it down so that uh, now the the amount of space in between the top and the bottom is actually far less. Mm-hmm. And so when um, in the midst of the pandemic, or prior to the pandemic, maybe my coffee's cold would have been a fine thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. But now my coffee's cold and I get, I, I, I throw the cup. Right. Right. Because my window of tolerance has shrunk so much yeah. that right. I, I can't actually handle as much. And that goes back to what we were talking about with the trauma response and cortisol and all that stuff that's happening. Mm. Okay? So then your question yeah. is how do we then help people become more aware of what's going on? So one of the things that I'm trying to do is not only just name, Things like, hey, there's a window of tolerance and it has shrunk. And let's understand and be aware that when we start to, when we start to, uh, where we could have boiled before, now when we start to simmer, it's the same as where we boiled before. We just need to know, we just need to know that that is there and that, um, uh, just that awareness. But then also a sense of the the kind of three things that I've talked about a lot recently is uh, grief, gratitude, gratitude. And grounding okay Mm -hmm. so grief being both what have i lost what will i lose and what might i lose right Mm -hmm. and actually grieving and i think the scriptures are full of lament and grief and acknowledgement of how grief is actually something that god has given us to digest the experience of loss Mm-hmm. If we don't grieve well, then I don't think we will actually digest what we're experiencing, yeah. right? Um, and I, I honestly think, I th- I just don't think the American church knows how to grieve. We, yeah. you know, even when there is a uh, a little death and a funeral, it's kind of like, well, one week later, you're supposed to pick up your life and move on, mm. right? We're talking weeping and tearing of cloth and 40 days of, uh, right. of grieving, right, in the scriptures where, you know, we give ourselves maybe three or four days. Mm. Uh, So grief is something I think we as pastors need to train our people in how to lament and Mm grieve, how to actually take the Psalms of lament and apply them to my life and Mm -hmm. actually maybe rewrite them, not to rewrite scripture, but to rewrite them so that they apply to me. Here's my experience. And I join the psalmist in the lament. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Gratitude, I think, also is part of that. And you mentioned, you know, I'm grateful for still having a job. I'm grateful that, you know, nobody that I know is sick yet or, you know, whatever that we've not been hit that, that gratitude is there, but I think it needs to get even more particular and I'm grateful that I have breath today. Hmm. I am grateful that there the sun has that has come up again. I'm grateful for everything from the butterfly to my child's laugh. And this the attunement to ourselves also requires an attunement to our space and our environment. The more that we can see out here and actually in awe and wonder approach God with gratitude, the more that we can actually tune into what's happening inside of us. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. And then thirdly is grounding. And that is, uh, you know, scriptural meditation. That is prayerful spaces. That is slowing things down enough to sit and ponder and be and breathe and put your feet on the floor and do some mm-hmm. go running or do some stretches or walk the dog. Do something that actually reminds you of your humanness mm-hmm. uh, and your uh, belovedness. Mm-hmm. And that when we do those three things, I think on a, on a regular like. Daily practices, ritual, liturgical practices that then will be able to go, okay, I'm not feeling so depressed anymore.
2: Yeah. Chris, it's it strikes me how like how tragically and especially attuned this pandemic is to making those three things especially difficult. Right. I like I'm sitting here thinking about how important it is to give uh myself I you say those things, I'm kind of like is that okay to do right now? Like, I mean, I know that those are good things for other people, uh, you know, <laughs> the typical pastor response, right? But the 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 reduction of, uh, you know, it, there's a there's self-aware thing that is absolutely uh, so vital. And I know that as an extrovert, it is really hard for me sometimes to be self-aware unless there's a relationship holding up a, a mirror uh, to help me see. And this is distances uh those relationships and especially in ways that are embodied and the reduction of all of this to screens makes it just feels like it's kind of like trying to shove a um well a camel through the eye of a needle uh to 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 try and and depend on those relationships with those mediums that makes that that just I don't know. I'm, I'm just I'm. Yeah.
0: yeah. And I think I mean, just for uh, leaders in general, right, if you're if, if you, you can't read the room, <laughs> you know, as at least in the same way, if everything's on Zoom, mm-hmm. um, you know, we Brad and I've talked about uh, that the experience of I, I, I mentioned this in our previous episode, but I ran into a couple of the grocery stores in my church. And I thought, oh, my gosh, just seeing them at the grocery store that I, I have missed you so much. And they're like, huh, that's weird. We see you every week. And I said, well, I haven't seen you in like almost three months. Mm-hmm. And so just, I, 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 I'm I, thinking that there's probably a lot of leaders experiencing something similar where those embodying relationships that we depend on, I don't think in an idolatrous way, but for feedback, yeah. for mm-hmm. a sense of, am I doing the right things or am I doing a good job?
1: Yeah, you know, well, and just, Bryce, I feel like yeah. that comes... That, that's true, and I think that's so appropriate for you to say like they have seen you for the last three or four months, but you've not seen them and, and the distance that we have, you guys that you just said about being on the screen and trying to shove a extrovert through a broadband, <laughs> right? Like you just you just can't do this. Um, kind of. that So it's 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 both a ridiculous notion, but I also will come back to what I said before is that some of the superhuman power that I think a lot of pastors have is reading other people's faces. Hmm. And I wonder if this is a kingdom opportunity for us to learn how to read our own. Hmm. And for us, you know, one quote, I think, that I'm going to butcher, but says something along the lines of, leaning my ear down to my soul and listening. Hmm. And so that I feel like is what, what might God actually be bringing us in ministry to right, is to remind us of who we are also as his beloved children, Mm -hmm. not just his church leaders. And to to come back to like, I need, I need Jesus. I need to tune into my soul. I need to know what's going on in here. And that far too often, I think we, we actually hide behind our ability to read other people to know who I am versus actually coming to know who I am.
0: Wow. (laughs) 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 that's
2: that's fantastic um serious note with that though uh i mean that very the uh we we, before we started recording we were talking enneagram uh which you know we have our our cult i'm sorry club membership cards too (laughs) but um as a as a three on the Enneagram with a wing four in particular, I, I am I'm just well how as it Calvin said, uh you can't I'm gonna butcher this quote too. You, you can't really know God unless you also know yourself. And there's a there's a very real uh discomfort in that we have all suddenly been left very alone with ourselves in ways that we we have been able to avoid until this point. But so that makes that that resonates a little too much. So thanks.
0: Yeah. Chris, <laughs> I wonder I wonder, as we uh, kind of try to r- wrap up, do you have one or two kind of first steps that um, you could suggest if, if, I'm, uh, if I'm somebody who's listening right now, and I'm realizing a lot of this is resonating uh, with me, what, what, what are one or two th- first steps I could take?
1: Yeah, well, um, put on your own oxygen mask first. Hmm. Okay. And that is not something that people in ministry do well at all. (laughs) Okay. So put on your own oxygen mask first and come back to the place of where, where I said before, like the more that you can speak about what's going on for you and be so honor and honesty actually come from the same root word. And so the more that you can be honest about what is happening for you, the more that you actually honor yourself and honor your creator. And so if you're feeling some of these things, if you're feeling the exhaustion, if you're feeling depressed, anxious, fearful, traumatized, like we've talked about, mm-hmm. uh, I would say reach out, find someone to journey with you. Uh, and that is not a sign of weakness, guys. That in my mind is a sign of strength and courage and commitment to be one of those faithful saints that, that Paul and Peter and all the other guys wrote to in mm-hmm. areas like Cappadocia. Okay, so to, to come back to that, and, and, and reach out. We at Restoration Counseling, we've got um, careduringcorona.com, and there's a whole bunch of virtual spaces where care can be had by pastoral counselors and therapists and spiritual directors and all that. And there's multiple places across the country that do that as well. So um, that would be the first thing I would say to people. Yeah. And then secondly is, uh, is to come to a space of actually grounding yourself. Hmm. Look yourself in the mirror and ask the Lord, who did you create me to be? Before the beginning of time, as Paul talks about in Ephesians 1 and 2, before the beginning of time, who did you think me up to be? Hmm. And what is the image that you wrote into my life? And in Ephesians 2, it talks about the the workmanship, the handiwork, the masterpiece. What was the masterpiece that you made me? Hmm. And how can I actually come closer to revealing you, the master, by letting the world see the masterpiece during this space and during this time. And I think the more that we lean into that, I think not that we will come out of the pandemic, because I don't think it will actually go back to where we were, but I think we will actually grow through the pandemic to something more of who we could be uh, and more revealing of God than we would have if this thing had more human, even more
0: human. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. That's fantastic. Um Yeah. Uh, it will last Last time we, uh, Brad and I talked, we were talking about the parable of the talents and the idea that um, God is asking us to be faithful with what we've been given, not with what somebody else has been given. And uh, I've been trying to just come back to that in the past week. Um, Mm -hmm. I I don't have all of the resources to play with. Uh, (laughs) So what is it that God has called me specifically to do?
1: Yeah, well, and to be. Hmm. (laughs) to steward, to steward, not only what you have been given, but to steward who you have been made to be.
0: Mm. Bryce,
2: I'm blaming you for this one.
0: Wow. That's good. Very good. That's great. So Chris, um, thank you so much. If people want to connect with you, can you tell us how, uh, how they can do that?
1: Yeah, sure. Like I said, um, uh is up and out there. It just directs people directly to our website, Restoration Counseling in Colorado.
0: That's great. Chris, thanks so much for your time. Uh, this has been a, a really rich conversation. You've given us a, a lot of great resources. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much.
1: My honor. Thank you so much.
0: And thank you for joining us. If you would like to connect with Chris Bruno, we've got links in the show notes to the website he mentioned, careduringcorona.com, as well as Chris's book, The Manmaker Project, that I mentioned in the introduction. And if you're curious about that seven story underground city in Cappadocia that Chris mentioned, like I was, we've linked that for you there as well. This is episode 11 of Everything Just Changed, and Brad and I are calling this the end of season one. We're going to take Chris's advice and take a couple weeks off to rest, and we will be back in July with a new season, helping you navigate life in a post-Christian and post-pandemic world. We hope you'll join us for that. In the meantime, we would really appreciate it if you would help us out. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and share our podcast with a friend. I talked to one of my best friends this week, and he said he never, ever remembers to rate our podcast. Please rate our podcast. Don't be that guy, okay? It makes a huge difference in helping us spread the word, and we really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I'm Bryce Hales with Brad Edwards. Our theme music was recorded by Kevin McLeod and used under a Creative Commons license from Filmmusic.io, and our logo was designed by Danny Rankin. We'll be back next month helping you navigate life in a post-Christian and post-pandemic world right here on Everything Just Changed.